0: we're talking about joy this morning and we think about what joy is. Uh, Begin with a definition this morning. Uh, The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Now boy, that sounds like a worldly definition of joy, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like something uh, very spiritual there. A state of happiness or felicity, and again, that seems to be uh, somewhat of a definition of the world, not very spiritually deep. And then we get to number three here though, a source or cause of delight. And looking this morning, I want us to consider the source of our joy. As children of God, where does our joy come from? Paul writes of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're beginning with verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I read from Thessalonians, and and I'll, I'll remind us today that this was not a typical place that Paul visited. Typically, Paul goes somewhere, and he sets up shop as a tent maker. He makes contacts in the local synagogue, and he makes contacts with merchants that he would be getting materials from for which to make his tents. And Thessalonica is kind of the outlier. All these other places like, you know, Philippi and Ephesus, Paul would go. And he would spend probably 12, 18 months with those folks. But not Thessalonica. Because that's the place that after just a few weeks with them, he's run out of town. And so because he's run out of town so quickly... He doesn't get to establish those deep-rooted relationships and, and and plant deep-rooted seeds with that church. And so he leaves and he wonders, are they going to make it? Are they going to survive? There's a lot of rowdy people that aren't very hospitable toward our religion, toward our faith. And how are they... As these young Christians, this new church, how are they possibly going to stand up to all the persecution? All the people that don't want them to be able to express their Christian faith. And then you read these words and he's saying, hey, Timothy has just come and he has told us the good news. He has told us about your faith. And then Paul says here, you know, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul is saying, you you folks in that church in Thessalonica, you have brought us undescribable joy. You have brought us such deep joy before the Lord because you are standing firm in your faith. And what an absolutely beautiful thing it is as Paul sees it. But what has Paul got here? Is he expressing, hey, I'm happy now. Y'all are doing good. No, it's more deeper than that. It is something that is not just a fleeting happiness. If the Titans happen to win today, well, that will make me happy. But that doesn't bring me a deep-rooted and spiritual joy. No, joy is something that is not dependent on uh, your team winning or losing joy is not dependent on everything in your life going right because how often church family does everything in our life really go right hey some of you walked in here this morning and looked at the wing and you said hey who took my seats you know say this ain't going right all I want to do is come and worship God, and now I've got to join. Uh, I've got to join all these folks in the main auditorium. Can't be over there in the court of Gentiles and 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 have the fun that we have sitting over there, right? No, you got to come in here and, and sit on these pews. But yeah. So so life life throws us curves, right? It, it, it things happen that we don't expect. Whether it's us or people that we love dearly. And so joy is that thing that's there no matter what. Where does joy come from? Well, Paul mentions here faith. He mentions he mentions that joy joy starts with faith. Some weeks ago we talked about having an attitude that lets us be gracious. That if we become people who can express gratitude on a regular and ongoing basis, that we see life through a lens of not how things are going wrong, but look how much things are going right. And because of that then, that we are people who express gratitude and thankfulness on a regular basis. And see, when you have that kind of attitude of thankfulness, then that changes the lens through which you see everything. And so you start by being thankful, and then you deepen your faith. I love this verse from Jeremiah 15. When your words came, I ate them. They were my love and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. And that might be a strange thing to read this morning. When your words came, I ate them. What? What are you talking about here? You ate some words? Yeah because that's what happens when we really take something in when we take something in and make it part of us it's as if we're ingesting it thinking about what the spirit of the Lord told the prophet Isaiah when he said eat this scroll and so he's saying take the words on this scroll and and internalize them take them inside you make them a part of you And so we start with being people who can express gratitude, people who are thankful, and then we strengthen our faith. Our faith becomes deep-rooted because we internalize God's words. God's words of comfort God's words of support God's words in the psalms of lament for example so that when things are not going well that we can look to those psalms we don't have the words to say and we look at the number of times David and others lamented before the throne of God and said God it's not going well and I'm not feeling you right now I don't feel your presence. I am hurting. And so, what do we take from that? We take that that is a natural feeling. That there are going to be times when things are going so poorly for us. That we're going to be crying out to God and wondering, God, I don't feel you as near as I need to feel you but because of a deep-rooted faith we know that God is there even in the moments when we might not feel like God is there and like God is close and that faith is what allows us to develop joy joy that's not dependent on anything external on things going our way but joy that says I can be joyous no matter what let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2 because I want us to spend just a few minutes thinking about what joy is not and so Solomon wrote this if you know anything about Solomon uh, he was the son of David the second king, David was the second king of Israel. Solomon became the third king of Israel. And Solomon prayed to God and asked God for wisdom. And so he was granted wisdom. He was also granted tremendous wealth. Solomon was a thinker. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, you will get that. That Solomon is someone who pondered things. And so he, uh, he writes here in Ecclesiastes 2 about how pleasures that he was seeking turn out to be meaningless. Beginning with uh, verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So let's pause right there for a moment. So he's, he's giving us a list of all these things he undertook, trying to find earthly, worldly pleasure. And he's saying, hey, wine, women, and song. And in all of this, I still maintained my wisdom. I was still a wise man. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the when nothing was gained under the sun. He had wealth. He had possessions. He had a harem at his disposal. And at the end of all that, he says, you know what? It's just meaningless. That this is not the meaning of life, just amassing all this stuff. That this is not the answer. And so when we think about joy, we think about how the fact that it doesn't come from what the world might tell us. Hey, these things will bring you joy. Open up a magazine. I think those things still exist. Yeah, you open up a magazine, a newspaper... And you find lots of advertisements for things. I read newspapers online now, but boy, the advertisements are still there, aren't they? And they're telling you all the stuff that you need. Look at this. Hey, look at this subdivision, this development, and homes starting at X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and look at this car. And the folks on Madison Avenue like to put stuff in front of us that make us think, boy, my life would be better if I had that. And what Solomon in all his wisdom is telling us today, all these years later, is no. No, that stuff is not going to be the true source of any kind of real deep-seated joy. The picture on the screen here is of a guy named George Mallory. This was taken in 1909. Uh, That was on his, I believe, his first attempt to scale Mount Everest. Mallory was an Englishman, and Mallory made multiple attempts to scale Everest. He ended up dying, and people never knew because he died on the mountain. They didn't know if he died on the way up or if he died on the way down. So people, the the mystery is still there, was Mallory the first guy to ever reach the summit of Mount Everest, Uh, dying up there at some, I don't know, 27,000 feet above sea level, just a couple of thousand feet below the mountain's peak, Uh, but in... in, uh, I think one year he was asked uh, uh, when he was in the in the process of going through his various expeditions, you know why uh, you know why he climbed Mount Everest, and he said, "The first question uh, that you will ask, and which I must answer, is this: What is the use of climbing Mount Everest? And my answer must at once be: It is no use." There is not the slightest prospect of any gain whatsoever. He says, oh, we may learn about the behavior of the human body at high altitudes, and possibly uh, medical men may turn our observation to, to some account for the purposes of aviation. But otherwise, nothing will come of it. We shall not bring back a single bit of gold or silver, not a gem, nor any coal or iron. We shall not find a single foot of earth that can be planted with crops to raise food. It's no use. He said, so if you can't understand that there's something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it, that struggle is the struggle of life itself, upward and forever upward. If you don't understand that struggle, he says, then you won't see why we go. What we get from this adventure is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. Mallory's saying, you know, that's what life is about, is trying to come to an understanding of what brings us joy. And so he says, "We do not live and eat and make mo- we not we do not live to eat and make money. We eat and make money to be able to enjoy life. That is what life means and what life is for." Now, uh, he says all this, and it might be profound to some people, but I would say that well, it killed him. <laughs> I mean, you know. I'm, I'm sure there is an incredible rush for adventure junkies who reach a 29,000 foot peak, some, I don't know, like near five miles above sea level. And they feel like, wow, I've done it. I am at the top of the world. But yet it's something so dangerous that so few people can actually make the summit and then survive to tell about it. And I would say, George, there's a better way. There's a better way to find the joy that you're looking for. The last section of Scripture I want us to look at is in John chapter 16. Jesus in that upper room, He has washed the feet of His disciples and He has now promised them the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up in... Verse 16 of John 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me at this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a while, you will see me. And because I am going to the father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And of course we know now, because we can look at this all these years later, and say, well, he's trying to tell them, I'm going to lay down my life on the cross. And he's saying in a little while, because this is the very night that he is going to be arrested. This is when he's having this dialogue with them. And he's saying in a little while, I'm going to lay down my life. And you all are going to be grieving. But then in a little while after that, because Jesus is saying Sunday's coming. And then... In just a couple of days, your joy will be complete. Your mourning will turn to joy. Your grief will turn to joy. And what a beautiful idea that is. What a beautiful concept that is. Of course, Jesus was talking about, then you will see me resurrected. You will see that I have conquered death. But church family, because of our faith, we have the opportunity to develop that deep, deep joy that all mourning, all grieving turns to joy because we have something that the world cannot offer us. We have the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And church family, if God is not the source of our joy, a relationship with the Heavenly Father through the resurrected Son, then we are missing out and we are kidding ourselves. We are living lives saying that we are children of God. But if we are not truly able to take stock of our lives and say, yes, this is the source of my joy. It is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because that is the only source of true and everlasting and eternal joy. We close out today with 1 Peter 1 verses 8 and 9. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Church family, let's be people who take stock of our lives and get to where we can truly say the source of my joy is my relationship with God. And that is a joy that The world will never, ever, in any way, shape, or form, be able to offer us. If you are here this morning and you are not yet a child of God, we offer the invitation that you can come forward and we can discuss with you the way of salvation that you'll have the opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ as the risen Son of God and enter the waters of baptism. Begin walking in newness of life as Scripture promises and begin a walk with God. If you're with us this morning and there's something weighing on you, and you would appreciate the prayers of this body, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not been living life the way you know you should. And so you just need to come forward and just say, I need to turn back to God once and for all. All of these reasons are reasons to respond this morning. Let's stand and sing.